And we are back for another edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. It's Jonathan Howe with you, Travis Cunningham with my co-host, uh, as always. And this is episode 53, brought to you by Oshrikan Speedway and Bicknell Racing Products. Travis, episode 53, who are you going with for 53? Because there you got a couple options for this number. Well, I'm going to start with a couple. This one's not all that local, but I run Panther Frameworks, and he owns Panther Frameworks, and he's fifth in ESS points right now. I already got a win, and I talked to him quite a lot. Sean Donath, he's run up here quite a bit. He led the Sprint Car Nationals one year for at least 10, 15 laps. So, and then who else we got? Logan Schwedick, and then throwback, the lady who used to be the, she was called Photo Chick, Photo Girl at the track, Merrittville. Her name is Julie Davidson. Her husband, Russ, also number 53 back in the street stocks. Early 2000s, mid-2000s that I remember. Nice. I'm going with uh, Daryl Faraway in the Modifieds. And uh, you can go Matt Christie as well in the uh, mini stocks. Also ran 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind for me. And uh, with all that, we should probably start with... Uh, let's start with Osh Weekend. Uh, you know, uh, another... Not necessarily the ideal track condition, but improved, correct? Oh, it was way yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I only just got to run the heat race. I was in that crazy heat race where the only three cars finished. And uh, yeah, did not go good for me, but uh, yeah. That, yeah. That's okay. Bad night for me. That's okay. Yeah. It happens. It happens to the best of us. So uh, you mentioned that crazy heat. Um we should probably start with that because that seems to be the highlight. I, I literally just put it on my Instagram story at Jonathan on air. Also put it up on the uh, Southern Ontario dirt show podcast. Uh, if you haven't seen it, but the, the GoPro footage from uh, Aaron Turkey's car is yeah. quite wild. Friday night thunder shared that on uh, Instagram and it is, it's something else, man, that, that camera took a wild ride, but obviously more importantly, Aaron Turkey took a wild ride and walked away from it. So, uh, I, I guess break down this wreck for anybody who has seen it or maybe people who haven't, Travis. Okay, so yeah, I was a bit mad at Aaron during the week because when we started the heat, me and him were racing on the first lap and we went down into turn three and I thought he threw a dirty like midget USAC slider on me and he backed it across my nose totally not good and it was almost me and him in that big pile of wreck in three and four and uh, then I ended up clipping the wall and Bailey Hurd ran into me. He was running around there with no brakes. So yeah, just a bad heat race overall for me, but yeah. Turkey, I love you, buddy, but you were definitely driving a smidge over your head in that heat race. And then, uh, yeah, ran over Corey Turner's right rear, and you all saw the aftermath of that. I'm glad he walked away. And he did say sorry to me last night on the Race Rivals show. So now I've forgiven him, but I was a little miffed at him because that... Like he would like Aaron, that was the most over your head I've ever seen you drive. Yeah, sometimes when you got good equipment and you get caught up in trying to run to the level of that equipment, maybe a little bit earlier than you need to. And yeah, it happens. 
but I, I'm like you say, mo- most importantly, glad that he's okay and glad that uh, I, this is, I assume the equipment is going to be repairable. But that was uh, as that car's definitely. <laughs> I mean, that car. I don't think I've ever seen a car come apart like that in any series. So cars coming apart has been like a topic of the week. It started Thursday with bad wreck Justin Peck Bridgeport with the mm-hmm. All Stars where I don't think the cage fully broke during the wreck, but like the right side of it was affected. And then when they tried to lift it up with the tow truck, then it fully came apart and it was literally like the down tubes. That's all those tow truck. It was crazy sight to see. So yeah, good thing. uh, Justin walked away from that one too, but then yeah, Aaron's car cockpit stayed totally intact, but the front of it definitely blew up. Like I've never seen before in my life. Yeah. And he uh, basically crossed in front of cross paths with, uh, with uh, Glenn Styers and it turned into a real, t-bone situation it, it was ugly but uh that was not the only flip at osh weekend uh, on friday night as uh nick erskine went for a wild ride in the uh the the mini stock feature a little later on in the night uh just just one of those things eric gledell in yeah, the sprint gledell. feature there was some in the crate feet in the crate heat maybe that's our bad i think murdoch <laughs> i saw him with a busted yeah. up wing it was just one of those nights the whole weekend seemed to be pretty like and then indy 500 that tire almost going yeah. in the crowd so much crazy shit happened. Yeah, this it weekend. was. Ooh, I said the S word. Ah, we can, we got bleep for a reason <laughs> if we choose to bleep it. Uh, yeah, though this um this weekend was just wild, but yeah, also good racing action. I mean, let's break it down with who our winners were. Josh Hansen, I, I was very impressed. I've been impressed with Hansen in general to start the season. Um, Josh was somebody we caught up with on the show last year, and. Ever since that interview, I've had I've kind of had a more of an eye on Josh, and he really it's been impressive. I I thought that was a really impressive move to win uh, against Bowman. Uh, Dylan Westbrook rounded out your podium. Liam Martin and Corey Turner rounded out the top five in three sixties. But uh, what'd you think of Josh? Uh, I've been watching Josh since first days of go karts, and he's always been a wheelman, and he's still wheelman now. So. Not too shocking there. And he spent a little bit of coin this winter getting a new motor. I saw a brand new Don Ott, and that thing definitely didn't look cheap. So it's definitely worth it, though. Running good first and second so far. Leading the points. Uh, Jesse Costa ends up winning the Strickland's Crate Sprint Car feature over Brett Stratford, Mac DeMann, Ryan Frazier, and Larry Gledhill. Mac DeMann actually got DQ'd. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I see that here now. That bumped Ryan Frazier into the top three. But shout out to Ryan Frazier. For so the top do three. we know, uh, did Frazier keep fourth in the points and all that, and they just got rid of third altogether? Because the the results are showing that McDemand's DQ'd, yes, but still scoring Ryan Frazier fourth. I hope not. That sounds pretty NASCAR. But Well, then that happened That happened at Maryville last year when Nelson Mason got DQ'd. Where, Don't get me yeah, started on that one. I know. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, we'll have to double check that one and see if how the points shook out for that and get confirmation one way or another. Clinton, let us know if you hear this. Uh, Ryan Beagle wins the Thunderstocks, keeping his hot streak going after winning at Maryville on Monday. Follows it up with a big win Friday. Good stuff from him. Kyle Wirt ends up finishing second after he won the previous week. Donnie Lampman third, Mark Fawcett fourth, and Ron Logie round out your top five in the Thunderstocks. Yep, I didn't see any of that, so. Are we shocked Beagle won? No. I'm more shocked Dave Bailey didn't finish second, but not really because opening night feature win and Kyle Wirt finished second. To be fair, Bailey DNF'd. Uh, I believe rare. he had a rear end 
Yeah, I, I, I think initially some folks speculated on the broadcast that it might be engine related. I thought I saw in the comments, but I think it was actually something to do with the rear end of the race car. So, um, yeah, Bailey ended up whatever it was, he was able to fix it pretty quickly and he got back to Maryville the next night. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, uh, Beagle off to a good start. And that's what you that's what you're going to need if you're going to take out Dave Bailey is you got to win when he has one of his more catastrophic nights. Definitely. Ashton Dickey takes home the mini stock feature win, uh, getting it over Ryan Hiller, Jason Tolton, Tristan De Silva, and Fabio Oliveri. And like I said, that one had a pretty wild wreck as well with uh, with uh, Nick Erskine getting tossed. So uh, that I, I feel like pretty much every driver we've picked in the fantasy league has had Not a, Jesse Costa a, has had a or Ryan Turner. Yeah. Okay. Well. So far, you've got a couple, but I think pretty got much beaks. everybody I've talked about at some point. Yeah, I got beaks, but everybody else seems to start having issues now that we're yeah. talking about. It. So now I don't. Nico even want Hansen. To, now I don't even want. He was to go having there. a good run, and he got caught up in that too. Josh's brother. Yep. 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 So we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. And uh, I've got the spreadsheet set up, so I'm just gonna punch in some numbers, and maybe we'll make a graphic that you can see on our social media at Southern Ontario Dirt Show Podcast on. Uh, Facebook and at sods underscore pod S O D S underscore P O D on Instagram and Twitter. That wraps up our weekend. Uh, looking ahead to this Friday, uh, should be a pretty solid night at the racetrack. I think for you guys, first Friday race of June, Renway energy presents wall of fame night. Yeah. Wall of fame night's always fun. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it this week. I got to go. A uh, good friend from my dart team passed away this week. He was also one of my best buds' father. So but he turned into one of my best buds, too. So he was way more than just my buddy's dad, Kerry Tool. So I got to go celebrate his life this weekend. But yeah, everyone else going there, uh, definitely have a fun night. Yep. And while we're on this note, you uh, we also should touch on uh, a couple folks who we're thinking of right now. Yeah. Shrek. Bat- or, uh Chris Shrek Ostrom is the main one. Uh, there's a couple other people in that crash that were involved too, but they haven't been released on Facebook or nothing. So I'm not going to say anything. Shrek's the one I saw released. So definitely, yeah, get better Shrek. Our thoughts and prayers are going towards you. And uh, yeah, just what a rough week. Yeah. And uh, a couple of drivers paying tribute to him. I saw Shand- uh, Charlie yeah. Sandercox got the uh, little Shrek doll riding with him this weekend, which is pretty cool to see and lots of other tributes coming out as well for Shrek. So uh, thinking of you, buddy, and hopefully you get well soon into all those uh, others also involved that we are uh, currently unaware of right now. With uh, the heaviness sort of out of the way, let's talk about the Maryville Speedway Saturday night show that we had because it was uh, another dandy. Uh, how about Matt Williamson, the guy is on fire. Four straight wins at Merrittville. Uh, he has taken uh, taken it to new heights, though, because he started 12th and gained 11 spots on his way to winning it over Pete Bicknell, Ryan Susie, Dalton Slack, and Freddie Carlton. A chaotic modified feature, I should point out, as we had not one, but two multi-car pileups that brought out red flags during the modified feature, uh, one happened when Brad Rouse was trying to make a pass for, I want to say, maybe the lead on a restart, if not second place under Daryl Fairway. Uh, you know, he tried to sail it in when there was probably maybe half a lane, maybe three quarters of a lane, ran out of room, got squeezed, 
and shot back across the racetrack and a couple cars piled in and one couple cars pile in from second on back it gets pretty ugly pretty quickly so yeah that one was tough and uh, a couple of the guys who ended up in that wreck came back like Dalton Slack and Ryan Susie both got pretty heavy hits in that uh, and I believe Dalton may have even gotten a piece of the second multi-car pileup that happened on that restart as well so shout out to all the drivers who were able to keep going on like even Tom Neal Tom Neal was involved in the second incident when I believe he, and got he finished turned. sixth and he ended up finishing sixth that yeah, might so. be his best finish ever in the mud so shout out to him yeah, yeah. And like I say, for a guy who I believe at one point was turned sideways in the middle of two, if I've got my drivers correct, uh, good for him to rebound like that and uh, make it to the end. So wild night at Maryville. Wild uh, weekend. Modifieds. Wild weekend in general, yeah. Uh, a race that was not exactly wild, though. The Sportsman. Uh, <laughs> Nelson Mason goes wire to wire in a green flag Full race, like just 25 laps of green flag action, no cautions, caution free, right choice auto and leisure sportsman event. That was uh, cool to see Taylor Vanderzan and came home second, making it a kind of, uh, I don't even remember, did, Mace, Mace Race, race Motorsports. Mace Race Motorsports, that's right. Uh, so that's a one two for them and that team. And then Cody McPherson ends up third after starting 11th. Brent Begelow moved up from 10th to fourth. And Chad Chevalier started 16th and brought it home fifth. Yep. Sportsman going green check happens every now and then. Every now and everyone says sportsman's a wreck fest, but sometimes they switch and the modified's a bit of a wreck fest and the sportsman go green to checker. I think I made a crack about our buddy Nelson Mason at work this week. I said he was the biggest letdown so far of 2023, but I said there's also handicapping this weekend. Sure enough, he got his pull shot and he made it count. Yeah, exactly. So now uh, you made you eat your words just a little bit there. I, re- I did say he was going to win this week because handicapping started as well. But before then, that's, that's he was fair. a lunch down, lunch, lunchbox letdown. Well, and the other thing too with that is that's you know it's one of those things where not it's not always a driver; it's a lot of times equipment too, right? I think they've had more than a few mechanical failures, at least from what I've seen at Merrillville. So can't speak to the other racetracks, but yeah, it's a tough start, but that'll uh, cure that a lot of it. things. Finishing a one-two, right? Yep. Uh, our guest later in the show, Pete Reed, won the Hoosier Stock feature with a pretty brilliant move. I got to say, uh, coming to, I believe it was coming to the white flag. He was following in line behind Mark Fawcett, who was leading into three and four. And Fawcett had to go around a lap car. And for whatever reason, the lap car chose to use the inside line through three and four, not the outside. And on the exit of four, slides up the racetrack Fawcett's gonna have to kind of chase it up the racetrack to give him room and when that happens Pete Reed makes the crazy dive to the inside down the front stretch and uh, he takes the lead although I think there was a little bit of contact and Pete was apologetic for it at the very least we'll ask him about that talk to him about uh, the little dust up with Mark Fawcett but a win is a win and Pete Reed started 12th too so plus 11 on the night for him he ends up winning it over Fawcett. Rob Murray had a good showing, uh, 11th to 3rd. Bailey goes 15th to 4th. And Zach Bleach, 6th to 5th to finish out your top 5. And Zach Bleach also was involved in an incident too. So uh, another driver who had a kind of back-to-the-front rebound type night. Yep, and I keep saying he's going to get a win one of these days, old Zachy Bleach. I think so. I, I, I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I, I think he's knocking at the door for sure. I think it took Billy a little while, though. Break the chair mm-hmm. in the old street stock too. But once he did, he would win every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, right. That's how it usually goes. Uh, also racing 
That night we had the Rona Doidge Mod Lights. Josh Slider takes the win there. Uh, RJ Pitts, Tyler Winger, Leroy Buscom, Rob Meisner, although Slider was getting chased down by Brent Begelow, who looked like he had a pretty fast car until some fluid started leaking out the back of it. And uh, I believe he was able to finish here, but uh, definitely uh, was a lap or two down, ended up 13th. Yep, so Josh heard me ch- chirping him last week, and he got her done <laughs> this week, but needed a little help from a rad hose that he probably yep. installed on Brent's car. So, yeah, love you, Josh. Oh, convenient. Good job, buddy. Are you starting to spit out conspiracy theories about no. the lights? I just like busting Josh because <laughs> he's my bully. Yeah, uh, over on the four cylinder side of things, Olivier Laroc ends up winning it, started fifth, finished first. Gets the win over Kyle Rothwell, Cole Hardy, Tyler LaFantasy, and Alex Riley. So you had uh, you had TMR cars second through. Well, sorry, Cole Hardy's not. It's not. It's not a uh, TMR car, but three t- TMR cars in the top five on top of uh, LaRock's win and Cole Hardy. So uh, good for Olivia though. This is his first Merrittville win, uh, from what I understand. He's got some feature wins at Humberstone as well. But uh, yeah, finally gets the uh, monkey off the back at Merrittville because. Uh, he Olivier is one of those drivers that I've kind of he's got kind of a unique car compared to the rest of the field in the mini stocks and that makes him stand out to me. And he's just always been a driver that I've had an, an eye on. He's been fast at times. Looks like he's going to push for a win and never quite breaks through, but uh, definitely broke through on Saturday night. Yep, I've seen him win at Humberstone before, and uh, always fast car, and it was super cool to read a different name in the Merrittville headlines in the mini stocks. Yeah, for sure. And it uh, definitely shakes up the points too, which we'll, we'll like probably wait till a month or two into the season. It's, points are starting to kind of take a sh- tight shape at Merrittville, but I, I think we can wait to start looking at the points until maybe midsummer kind of thing. But if you do want to see the points for either Oshweekin or Merrittville or any racetrack, pretty much all of the racetrack websites have point standings available at any given time. Uh, next week at Merrittville is the Brian Stevens Memorial and the family autograph night as well so check that out hopefully i'll see you at the racetrack uh family autograph night is really cool the pole dash is something very unique that we do on the brian stevens memorial night 444 dollars on the line although it's been kicked up uh just a what has it been doubled maybe tripled i think that 444 dollar amount i'm trying to see what the latest uh news is looks like uh according to the Maryville speedway website thanks to mp delivery and snw looks like that wasn't the bone like the whole night i think there's some of it that's going to the pole dash though so i'm just trying to clarify which's going to where the whole night yes sixty one hundred dollars added to the purse uh across all five divisions which is pretty cool um $2,400 $2,400 in, uh, in the modifieds, an extra 700 to the winner, 400 for second, 300 for third. Um, yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah. So here it is. So instead of it, uh, the $444, it's not going doubled to the pole dash. It's going to be, um, it, there's going to be a couple bonuses. So, it uh, looks like Mike Payne from MP Delivery added $444 to the fourth place finisher. And Wayne Kahn and SNW Service Center added an extra $444 to the uh, event uh, or to the winner as well in the modified. So there's been a whole bunch of money added to the field. If you want to see who's added what to where, you can check it out. Uh, the full press release is up on MaryvilleSpeedway.com under the news tab. So, But uh, yeah, looking forward to the pole dash challenge. 
Uh, and uh, I, I, for one, like this event. Uh, this year, we're going to use some fan participation instead of having drivers call each other out. Uh, we're going to have a random fan draw out of a hat who's going to challenge who in each round. So uh, if you want to be a part of that and you're in the audience, uh, sounds like you and I are going to hang out on Saturday night. Looking forward to that for sure. I, I don't know. Like for just one one race event, I think the pole dash challenge is super cool. Having a 1v1 shootout around the racetrack to see where everybody starts. I, I love that concept. But again, it, it I only love it because we don't see it anytime except for once a year as long as there's extra money going to the drivers that are on the track it's good to go exactly so folks from van sickle pep value and pv on the lane aren't just fans of your favorite four-legged friends they are race fans too that's why jeff and Rhonda riley as well as their staff have teamed up with Merrittville speedway to make your race day experience more convenient race fans can now pick up tickets for race nights while grabbing the highest quality food, treats, toys, and accessories for their pets from the St. Catharines and Niagara Falls locations. Each grandstand ticket will also have a voucher that can be used in-store for a free pet bath at their dog wash stations. Drivers and crew members can also skip the line by purchasing pit passes in-store, giving them more time to get their rides ready for Saturday nights. Check out Vansicle Pet Value across from Best Buy and Walmart on 4th Avenue in St. Catharines and PV on the Lane at the corner of Kayla Road and Lundy's Lane, Highway 20. Uh, somebody who's a part of the Merrittville community, we should probably give uh, a shout out to Cody McPherson. Speaking of winning, uh, picked up a big check, 5000 to win in a sportsman race down at Devil's Bowl in Vermont. Yeah, went went on a haul down to Vermont. I'm not sure how far that haul is. Got to be at least five hours. So, Oh, I think Devil's, it's even more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Devil's Bowl. Uh, it's been dirt, pavement, back to dirt. And Cody figured it out in his first shot. Let's talk about SOS next that's the thing we were forgetting yes we should get to the sos because uh the first sos event of the season happened saturday at southern ontario motor speedway and uh you were not in attendance as was uh, well more than a few drivers uh there was only 10 that took the green for the feature yeah definitely a bit of a rough start for pete there in the sos uh and i gotta talk about daryl he made that facebook message and uh it was pretty long winded. I can I understand his frustration and all that. There was wasn't cars there, and uh, but like typically that track is pretty hard to draw sprint cars. Always has been. Uh, the only time I've ever seen over twenty cars there is back in twenty twelve. I think it was Ken Pelkey put together a four race series, but he had to bring in the ES. It was all like a combo race. It was like ESS, Patriot, Core Pack, uh, whatever the Michigan series was back then. I think back then it might have still been SOD. He brought in uh, all those kind of things. And we still only got like 25 cars combining all those series. So it's always been tough draw there. Most ones are usually 14, 13. Like it's always pretty low. So you can't really be too shocked. And then like Daryl, your post, like I love you, bro. But like, yeah, if we would have got the shows in at Merrittville and Brighton, we'd be talking about 30 car counts and big car counts to start. But Mother Nature ruined it. So I think that post was a little overreacted. I did not like reading that, buddy. I did not like it at all, especially with the fact when I learned later, Daryl, you weren't even there, bud. You were in Knoxville with Alex Hill <laughs> and you guys were both chirping that no one was there while you guys weren't there either. So maybe look at that. I hate to say, I hated to see it. It's I hard. just couldn't make it. I had a bunch of damage. Like sure, lots, we had a rough night the night before, but yeah, that's where I'm at on that. Yeah, it's hard, right? It's one of those things where like you want to see certain tracks get a little extra love, a little extra attention, 
it sounds like Southern Ontario Motor Speedway really put a lot of improvements in over the off season. I know when we talked to Peter a, a few times on the show, he's mentioned that racetrack and and trying to hype it up and get people led to it. I, all around, it's it's just a it's just a bad situation where. Yeah, like you say, if we got Maryville shows in, we got some of the other racetracks, there'd probably be more cars who are willing to go out. But uh, the other thing you brought up is there's two drop weeks on the schedule too. So, right, that's why I, that's an, that was part of my decision. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm li- literally still on the points. Read the rules. It says two drop nights can count nights missed. They're going to readjust the points with two nights to go, and so all those people aren't. We're still all in the points. Yep. And we're all going to be at Brighton. I guarantee it. I wouldn't be shocked if there's a B main at Brighton. So mm-hmm. don't jump off the bridge yet. You guys are doing a great job and it's going to be great. I prom- we would have got Maryville in. There was no ESS. Like there was going to be 30 cars. Yeah. So well, the other- another thing about Buxton, one more thing yeah. is because like they said, there was a whole bunch of extra money, which they do are the hard charge and they do have a little extra bonuses, but all the main purse money went to the top, which is what I always say is the wrong thing to do. You should put it from fifth on down or 10th on down, or if it would have been 400 to start, I probably would have sucked it up and dragged it out there even though i wasn't feeling too much into it mentally but uh and then the other thing that made like the S, the non-wing guys they told us literally on this show that i wouldn't be able to pull my wing off after the night and run the feature and then they went and let everybody do it mm-hmm. like if i would have known that beforehand i probably would have came too yeah and then you, you guys they literally reneged on what they said they were going to do yeah, it's one of those hard things, right? Where like I think I feel like the car count influenced that especially because I get like, it, but there's only two people I get or it. ten drivers, right? So for me though, I I I, I think the I, you make a great point about redistributing that money back through the field just a little bit further. Uh, I, That's where all the lower dollar teams were looking. Yeah, and like all the most of the big buck teams were there. Yeah, it was all the little guys missing, and we we're the ones looking at. 8th through 24th for a The pick. other thing, too, is that I wanted to bring up is, is that it's been such a chaotic start at Oshweekin. And if yep. we didn't have, you know, the driver flips, the damage, the the things that have happened across the first two weeks at Oshweekin, maybe there'd be more guys who would be willing to make that trip or have their stuff in uh, better condition. But just to make the shows at Oshweekin, I'm sure these guys are thrashing to get their race cars out and, you know, then they go up there and they have some bad luck or whatever happens. It's just tough. It's just a tough situation all around. You hate to see it, but it's far from, it's a long season and it's just the start and things are going to improve pretty impressed, pretty quickly. Yeah. I would assume. So, yeah. uh, give the rundown. I don't think we did yet. Uh, the did SOS we? finish. Uh, let me grab that. Uh, D dubs yeah. one, which I'm done. My rant so, okay, back. Here, Sorry, here's another thing I want to ask. If, if you're one of the drivers who's maybe capable of winning, but you're not better than D-dubs regularly, does that discourage you from showing up? Like, we we but talked a little bit about... If he's there, no. Because we talked about this but, a little bit off well, the air uh, today about, you know, how a driver like Matt Williams said, if you go and race him at Merrillville, you are making yourself better, even if he's kicking everybody's butt he's showing you he's raising the level of competition as opposed to saying, Oh, I wish Matt wasn't there so I could win one. Right. And it's kind of the yeah. same thing with, with the Southern Ontario with sprints with us weekend with Dylan Westbrook back here racing with us this year. Yeah. But I love you. D does, but he hasn't won one in us weekend yet. It's almost like uh, our local competition has like, well, he was out on the road. We have risen up to him. Like we are now back to equal. There's no, 
seven race win streaks. I can't see one of them coming anytime soon. So you're laying the ga- you're laying the gauntlet down on this but podcast. Like, I gotta say, it's just still it's the truth. I'm All right, with. you want me to run through the lineup here? Uh, Dylan Westbrook wins it over Ryan Turner, Mitch Brown. That's your uh, podium. Sean Evans ends up fourth. Darren Dryden with a great run in the top five. Liam Martin sixth. DJ Christie seventh. Holly Porter in eighth. Nick Sheridan ninth. And Mike Farrell rounded the 10 cars who made it. Uh, Trailer Pros Hard Charger Award went to Sean Evans plus four on the night. And Quick Time Ackland Insurance Quick Time went to Ryan Turner. See everybody at Brighton, where there's going to be 20-plus cars, and the world will be fixed, I promise. Paul Pocona Memorial, I yeah, can't wait. It's going to be a great night, for sure. Uh, we got to touch on the Southern Ontario, or the Southern Ontario Super Dirt Car Series, and Southern Ontario's own Matt Williamson takes one of the wins of the back-to-back Super Dirt Car Series events from last weekend. Yeah, he won Weedsport, so... Yeah, we got to talk about the money match, super match drama that's going on. Like, it is pretty intense right yeah, now. Yeah, this, this whole thing is so ridiculous the two guys, to me. It's not ridiculous. I love it. So, it I love great. the rivalry. Don't get me wrong. Matt Williamson, Matt Shepard, these two are clearly establishing themselves as the uh, top dogs in the Super Dirt Car Series, at least right now in the moment. Uh, they are at the top of the, the standings. Shepard is only three points behind Matt Williamson, who has the points lead after what do we got three events now. So uh, Jimmy Phelps in third in the points, Darren Smith and Peter Britton. But this all started with the broadcast kind of accidentally or maybe accidentally on purpose mixing up. That's not where it started at all. So that's not where it's like two weeks ago at Weedsport when Matt Shepard won met him and money. Matt were um, Matt Williamson were battling for the the lead or second. They were both clearly the fastest cars and they were going Mm -hmm. to the front. Matt got in a little bit too far on Shepard and yes. Shepard closed the door and Matt ended up with the front end ripped out of it. And then during caution, Shepard drove by and gave Matt the sarcastic thumbs up. So we didn't touch like after Matt got done, absolutely dusting the field at Weedsport, like straight up one by 16 seconds, lapped up to fourth was two, three seconds away from lapping Matt Shepard mm-hmm. himself. Matt made it upon himself to drive up beside Matt Shepard on the way to the scales and give him the thumbs up back. And then Shepard drilled him twice in the rear end and then the one that really blew me away after matt williamson and true matt williamson fashion called out all the keyboard warriors in his victory lane speech and uh but matt shepherd did not would not go to the victory lane picture i could not believe that <laughs> like like the nine time champ nine time champ is so rattled by our little guy from saint Catharines, ontario that he won't even go get in his picture what is that what a terrible look for matt shepherd if you ask me like like clearly matt's getting in his head it's working like you not we go into his picture and then so yeah that's where it all started and then it carried over to lebanon the next night where super matt shepherd did pick up the win but the Pit announcer for Dirt Vision. I forget the guy's name, but holy smokes, bud. Learn your drivers. He was calling Matt Shepard, Money Matt. They even wrote it on the check. Was like, that some sort of joke or something? Like, like what was that? I could not believe that announcer getting their names mixed up. Like, buddy, you got to be better than that. If you can't get them right, just don't say any nicknames. Like, holy moly. We should put our, we should put our resumes in for that because I guarantee you we would never make that mistake. I could not believe it. I was screaming at my TV <laughs> at an announcer. Yeah, you know what? What, what if... Uh... What if it was accidentally on purpose? Like, is it? Do you think Shepard would have talked to them and said, "Hey, you know what? Tonight, I want to be money mad if I win because it's a bigger check and it's a bigger race." Blah 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 blah. 
Like, Maybe. I, I, the more I thought about it, I was like, I wonder if somebody at a shepherd's camp put him up to it. But either way, this the whole this whole thing is so amusing to me because it's obvious that it's just uh, an ego contest at this point. Two rivals, you know, uh, this is almost like a, a, a intimidator versus wonder boy situation. Uh, you know, it's probably at times friendly, but right now it sure doesn't seem like it's a very friendly rivalry right now. Um, but I looking, I'm and looking that, forward to it playing out, and I hope that when the Super Dirt Car Series comes a little bit closer uh, to the border, and when we go across the border, that all the six, uh, well, six fans over here, but uh, all the 88 fans show up in a big way and uh, really represent Matt Williamson on the uh, Canadian side of things because I, I think that oh, would I'm be sure they will. just hilarious if Matt comes over here, wins in front of a home crowd, and then things get nuts. Yep. So that wraps up the Super Matt versus Money Matt stuff. But there was more drama from Lebanon Valley because during the heat races, rivals Tyler Dipple and Peter Britton line up side by side. And at Lebanon Valley, because it's so high bank, the outside is actually the pole car. So they were getting into it. They have long standing history going back to Super Dirt Week. And then it spilled over to a fight in Orange County. They've been going at it for a couple years now. Well, anyway, they beat their doors off down the front straightaway. And then Dipple slides him in one, Britain turns it under. But then Britain's interview during the redraw where he calls out and tells him he can't drive <laughs> and all this stuff. And it's like, holy buddy. Like, a lot of people loved it. I loved it too. But to, like, Peter Britton, he gets like one, two, three wins a year. Like, telling another guy can't drive at all. Like, that was a bit much. And Dipple's won a few races too. Like, Dipple's definitely an unlikable guy. Like, that is a for sure. But to say he straight up can't wheel, meh. That's that's but. just drivers though in the heat of the moment. You know that you are one. I literally Yeah, I know. I, I know. Rookie I know. pavement go-karts and I got Ross Chastain and I'm sitting here popping off the whole oh, yeah. way back to the pits last Saturday. So we all know that drivers kind of forget to pack our brains when we put our helmets on and then when we take our helmets off you still got to put the brain back in there. So uh that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. But yeah, the Super Dirt Car series I know Mother Nature wreaked havoc to start the year on that series, but the drama is picking up. It's Made up for it. Oh, it's spicy. Woo! That series is spicy right now. You love it to see it. Uh, another kind of spicy weaker uh, event, at least, was the high limit race. So uh, walk me through again what exactly happened oh with my God. Rico. He pulls a Mark Martin and then his GC boy Rantville Kyle Larson helps him out with a little massage of the situation. Yep. Yep. So whatever heat it was, it was sunny going down the front straight away. I do know what it's like. Sometimes you can't see the flags. I get it. But man, Lars or Rico slows down the back straightaway. I just want to point out that nobody else slowed down. They all, all the rest of them knew the mm-hmm. race was still on. So caution comes out. It was clearly for Rico pulling the Mark Martin. They were going to put him tail and then he's got to the front and then no one knows what's going on. And then Larson stops on the track himself and makes the call to put him in front. Like that to me was straight up mind blowing. Like if that was Doug Leonard running that show, like I give Doug Leonard some slack, but he would handle that a thousand times better because Larson would have been tail for stopping on the track for not a safety thing. And like, you can't be an official. If you're going to drive, you want to be an official with your brother-in-law, Brad sweet, get out of the car and go in the booth. Like that is straight up. You cannot let that happen. Worst look I've ever seen in a dirt race. And then didn't they add an extra driver to the pole dash because of that? Yeah. Straight Yep, Justin Sanders, he's the one that got screwed out of that deal. 
And uh, they added him straight up Spingate NASCAR style. Like they added Jeff Gordon to the playoffs back. Like what a terrible, terrible, terrible look for that series in that call. And Brad Sweet did come out and was transparent about it. He even said he didn't know what to do. But gosh, so much stuff has happened in that series. And then like there was a bunch of flips in the A main and the first race. That guy got hurt, and then Alex Bowman got hurt at the second race. Like, I'm not even touching it all. So much more stuff has happened in that series. The dat, the the dice thing is getting so out of whack. Like, so Parker Price Miller won the dash last night. They roll number eleven. Clearly, he's not going to yeah. take an eleven. And then they they were pumping up all night. They're like, no matter what, Kyle Larson's going to take the challenge. No matter what, they go to Larson. Hey, Larson, will you start eleventh for an extra eleventh grand? No, I'll do it eighth minimum. So then they rolled the net again and got lucky and it came up in eight and he took the eight, won the extra eight grand. He probably could have got it done from yeah. 11th. Like if you're going to, if you're going to race against the guys and take the money, yeah. don't be a chicken. Go to you 12th every series. time. What difference does it make? Don't be a chicken. What difference does he, it make? Like, Oh, my car owner's going to be mad at me. Well, Hey, NASCAR boy, fund him, like pump him you the extra money the, back. Like I realize he's trying to do it to make money, series. but <laughs> like he, he owns the series. Like, oh. gosh, so much crit, like I couldn't believe it. Like they thought they were going to be better than the World of Outlaws. They're making the World of Outlaws look pretty good with some of them. Going. Yeah, and uh, but are people watching and people paying attention? That's what really matters. So yeah. all yep. this drama, all this extra stuff, it's just playing into it, just the way it is. Look at NASCAR <laughs> right now. Yeah. I mean, I will be the first to defend the racing of of NASCAR because that's what I grew up watching first and foremost. And the Coke Six Hundred, from a racing standpoint, was an excellent race in terms of competitiveness and comers and goers all that good stuff that makes a good race at least in my eyes but we're not talking about the fact that the coke 600 was good we're talking about chase elliott losing his mind and right rearing denny hamlin you know we're, we talk about the drama yeah. so i, I don't want to say it's manufactured in any sort of way i don't want to get off conspiracy well, theory ish but they definitely don't make it they don't kyle larson has not made it easy on himself in that series with the talking points at the very least. Definitely so, not last night. Definitely yeah. not last but, uh, night. Okay. Everybody take a breath. Everybody take a drink. TC's done ranting. I'm done getting fired up. I don't, Am know, I? I don't know. Are you going to rant to our guest, Pete Reed? <laughs> okay. Well. Probably. Oh, yeah. No, there is a topic, actually, we're going to bring up with him. That, that's worth rant-worthy. So <laughs> stick around. Pete Reed coming up on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. The Southern Ontario Dirt Show is brought to you by Oshwiken Speedway, Southern Ontario's home for Friday night excitement. For over 25 years, Oshwiken Speedway has promoted and played host to sprint car racing with a new season of family-friendly events on the horizon and set to begin May 19th. Catch our own Travis Cunningham as he races weekly in the 360 division each Friday night in pursuit of a season-long championship. The Friday night lineups are rounded out by crate sprints, thunderstocks, and mini stock divisions as well. In addition to weekly racing, Oshwick and Speedway will also hold several marquee events for the Southern Ontario Sprints, the Action Sprint Tour in their West Series and National Series, as well as a visit from Canada's premier stock car series, the NASCAR Pinty Series on August 14th and 15th for their only stop on dirt. Mark your calendars as the 3 8 mile dirt track located in Oshwick and Ontario welcomes drivers from across the country and beyond for the 19th running of the Canadian Sprint Car Nationals which is scheduled for September 16th. To keep up to date with the latest news from the track, be sure to find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For track information on policies, admissions, directions, and more, be sure to visit oshwekenspeedway.ca. That's O-H-S-W-E-K-E-N speedway.ca. 
Oshweekin Speedway, your home for Friday night excitement. The Southern Ontario Dirt Show is brought to you by Bicknell Racing Products. The last 40 years plus have seen Bicknell Racing Products grow to be an industry leader for racers and enthusiasts alike. Their St. Catharines location is home to 20,000 square feet of manufacturing and retail space with a second store in Niagara Falls, New York and a dealer network that continues to grow day by day to serve Southern Ontario, Western New York and beyond. Bicknell Racing Products distributes Hoosier tires for much of Eastern Canada, New York and even parts of Pennsylvania. BRP is everything you could need to keep your car performing at its peak with genuine parts from the manufacturer. They even have a technical support line committed to helping you with the most up-to-date information and feedback from racers and crew chiefs. Have you ever thought about a career in the automotive or racing industry? Now is your chance to take the leap with Bicknell Racing Products. They are looking for CNC machine operators, welders, and more to join their team this season. Please send all resumes to Dana Curving at BicknellRacingProducts.com. That's D-A-N-A. C-U-R-V-I-N at BicknellRacingProducts.com. For further information on Bicknell Racing Products and to find a dealer near you, visit BRP online at www.BicknellRacingProducts.com or on Facebook or at Twitter.com slash Bicknell Racing. Pete Reed joining the show now, driver of the 05 Street Stock, Thunderstock, Hoosier Stock, wherever you see Street Stocks racing. Pete Reed is probably up towards the front and uh, it was up towards the front on Saturday. So uh, Pete coming off uh, a, a big win on Saturday. How's the week been? Uh, busy. Seems like every week's usually pretty busy around here. So uh, lots to do, lots to do. Yeah. And uh, you got it done on Saturday night against a very tough field and you've been very competitive throughout the last couple of years, at least since I've started covering the sport and when it comes to street stocks. So just talk to us about, uh, well, take us through the win on Saturday night and the winning move, because I thought that was a super impressive move, the way you were able to dive under not only the leader at the time, Fawcett, but the lap traffic. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on tonight, first of all. Let me say that. Um, um, so, yeah, tough field uh, for sure. Street stock, Hoosier stock, whatever you want to say, is uh, I think one of the toughest fields we've got around. Uh, there's a good 15 cars. I think that can win any week, any night, any place. Um, one or two take off, you know, once in a while. Uh, we just got to figure out what those guys are doing uh, week in and week out and, you know, hopefully be up there more regularly. Uh, I think we're always a top five car. Uh, Saturday we showed that track was good. Uh, you know, a lot of track prep went in. It was great, great show. And we started, what, 12th, I think. Uh, it was a little wild at, at the beginning. I think we were four wide going into three at one point in time yep. with uh, a couple other guys. Um, cautions fell, you know, the way we needed to, got to the bottom, um, where it seemed to be everybody wanted to be on Saturday night was the bottom. Uh, chase down uh, Mark Fassett. Um, stayed on his bumper, stayed on his bumper. Uh, got underneath him going into one. I don't think he realized I was there. Uh and Age of the Beast at Merrittville, everyone's trying to do the arc into the corners, right? Um, the the race in line, I don't, and like I said, I don't think he was he knew I was there. Got into him a little bit, moved him up the track, got underneath him, kind of bumped, railed a little bit, did a little, uh, you know, Robin's racing kind of thing, and uh, let him go. Had to chase him down again. And the first time we got to uh, the the lap car, Mark waited for him, and I went to the outside and it didn't work. So the second time we got to him. Uh, I think we're coming to the white flag, uh, coming through three and four. And I'm like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, going to wait, see what happens. Mark pulled to the outside, uh, coming out of four, and I just kind of hail married it. 
and drove more or less through the infield and uh, went three wide and it worked out. So uh, beat Mark to turn one and uh, came around for the win. Yeah, it was an impressive one Thank for you. sure. Yeah, so you talked about that move, Todd Burley, like the way people drive Merrittville. Like you can call it, some people call it the driving school line or like Todd Burley used to call it the Merrillville chop where you go in high and then you got a chopper down and three. A lot of guys do that. That's that's what led to the contact there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think everyone's trying to make it into a big circle, right? Uh, you, you mentioned the driving yeah. school. Uh, years ago, I did the driving school and go-karts and the, the, the go-kart track's the same shape pretty well, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's just making it into a big circle to try and keep the momentum up. Merrillville's definitely a, uh, a momentum track and three and four is real sketchy for a lot of people you either hit it and you're super fast through three and four or you miss it and you're skating up towards the wall so mark was on a rail uh you know no fault to him uh he was doing what he had to do to pull away from us and we just kind of met in the middle i guess uh you know if you leave the bottom open someone's gonna dive bomb it into you right whether it's 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 me or or one of the other guys someone's gonna try and dive bomb it in there uh especially racing for a win right you got to kind of expect that and you know it worked out for us this time. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, come around to bite us on another race, but we'll, we'll deal with that when we cross that bridge. For sure. So you mentioned the go-karting uh, in that previous answer. Just talk to us about uh, how you kind of got started in, in racing and what led you up to uh, this point in your in your driving and racing career. Uh, well, I was always kind of around racing as a kid. Um, on my mom's side of the family, uh, she had some family members and she grew up around Lancaster. Um, I, I remember hearing the Julicker name as a, as a child. Um, and then we, I grew up in Niagara Falls. So my dad was always, he used to actually fall around the NASCAR circuit with a friend for years. You know, he'd tell me, you know, stories of going around and watching race to race in the seventies. And, you know, I'd read all of his old stock car magazines and I still have them kicking around somewhere. It's pretty cool to look back at the, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old stuff and, uh, so it just one thing led to another, you know, I remember being four five, six years old and sleeping in the bleachers through a modified race at Merrittville. Um, and our spot was always turn one, you know, the second to last bleachers. We actually grew up with the Farganolis there. Um, and yeah, one thing led to another. Eventually I said, Hey, I want to try something, you know, behind the wheel. So I was about, you know, 10, 11 years old started, you know, we, had, we didn't know anybody that was racing, you know really into it and whatnot so we pieced together a go-kart i think i raced my full season at 12 years old one rookie of the year uh i don't remember if i won a race or not but uh we won a bunch of races uh in the next four years i won a championship down at uh, batavia motorsports park which was actually a road course um in batavia new york that was a lot of fun uh something different and then you know as the years progressed uh got old enough and i couldn't wait to get behind something that was a v8 Right. And uh, mm-hmm. jumped into street stock. Street stock was the entry level class back then. We were on mm-hmm. pretty well stock truck motors and street tires. And, uh, you know, we we're all Monte Carlos, metric cars, pretty much. What year is this? Did you say that already? Uh, would have been 2000, I believe. I, I got into street Beautiful. Stock. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. And uh, I, I was not very good to begin with. Had some old, <laughs> had some old junk and uh, got taken under the wing. You know, a couple uh, Wiley veterans um, and kind of progressed. I think we built uh, Kenny Winfield actually built my first Camaro. That was the first car we built. That was uh, 2002 and came. I think we won four or five races that year. Um, 
had that car for three, four years, won a bunch of races with it. I uh, actually got my first trip in the ambulance to a hospital with that car. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that was fun. Um, yeah, and then over the years, I've taken a few years off here and there. Uh, you know, things like uh, getting married, we're going to move. Uh, we had, you know, our, our our son took a year off for that. But for the most part, yeah, I've been around Maryville. Uh, uh, I love street stock racing. I've, I've never really had a big urge to move, you know, Everyone says, "Hey, why don't you move up?" And I love street stock racing because I feel it's the it's the last true stock car racing that we have around. Right? We're still using, mind you, it's not much stock anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, we're we're still using somewhat stock pieces. Uh, we make a lot of stuff. Like I make all of my own bodies and bumpers and stuff. And and guys like Todd Gordon are are, are keeping the sport alive. You know, making a lot of chassis and and bodies and. Uh, it, it's not really a car that we can go to a store and buy parts and pieces for and bolt them together, right? There's still yeah. a lot of ingenuity. There's a lot of figuring out. There's a lot of, you know, scratching your head and, hey, does this work? Does that work? It's not, you know, here's a book, figure it out, and you go fast, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's where I like street stock. And, you know, we've we've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of good people along the way, um, you know, racing a lot of fun tracks and winning a lot of fun tracks. And uh, hopefully we're still doing it for a long time. Yeah, so let's lead in. Let's go right to the LS with it. So, like, because we started off with how cheap, uh, like, it was when you started, and now we're getting into crate motors. What is it like, eighty eight hundred from GM? The way it comes yeah, from GM now, so, it depends where you go. Yeah, yeah before exactly. You know, stars is the way to go because uh, you don't have to pay the the G man for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, eighty eight hundred bucks. I was never really a fan of crate motors, to be honest with you. I was probably one of the last ones on an open motor doing half decent and uh back a few i was probably around 2014 i would say we were just hurting you know they were trying to to figure out the rules of why the camaros are so much faster than the metric cars around that point in time uh so they put an extra 200 pounds on all the camaros and it absolutely killed me it like it the the open motor rule at that point and pretty much what we have now uh, other than the 305s, they had no torque. Like if a place like Oshwigan where you could really wind them up and keep them, uh, you know, revved up high, they'd be okay. But, you know, restarts and places down here like Humberstone and Merrittville where you need a lot of torque to get out of the corners and, and whatnot, it was it, it was a dog, absolute dog. And I had a long-standing uh, relationship with my engine guy. I love Precision in the Falls. They did a lot of work for me, uh, even, you know, through, through my job and, and whatnot. Um, so I felt terrible when I went and bought my first crate motor. I didn't even tell him about it. And we, we both, I think we ran like 10th or 12th one week. And I'm like, we got to do something, right? The car is handling good. We're just, they're, they're pulling, you know, four or five car lengths on us out of the corners. So we went and bought our first crate. I think we bought. Yeah. What'd you pay? I think it was like 3,500 bucks. That's probably it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like around there. And it was probably around 2014. Uh, again, got it from Stars, brand new, and Bicknells was doing the uh, exchange program at that point. So I went straight from Stars down to BRP, got one that was uh, uh, sealed up uh, with the, the BRP and the Merrittville seals. Dropped it in the car, went and up to Oshwegan to basically break it in, try it out. I was running up there a lot more at that point and finished third. Like <laughs> I, think we, I think we won the heat race and finished third. First time I hit the gas, the tires are blowing off the thing. I'm like, oh, wow, this, this is different, right? I uh, went down to Maryville the next night and won. Nice. So, yeah, word got out. 
Precision calls me Monday. Hey, you know, congratulations on on the win. I'm like, uh, yeah, I got something to tell you guys. And they knew, <laughs> they knew right away. And and uh, it was like, well, we, we, we can't believe that you didn't go to it sooner, right? So I mean, they get it. And but now we're to the point where they haven't really changed much. They even, you know, the pistons are better, the cranks are better uh, than they were, you know, almost ten years ago. But we're what like 300% markup from, you yeah. know, from what it was back then. And it's still basically a glorified truck motor. Yep. Yeah. I mean, in, in all reality, if you go to, you know, a, a wrecking yard and, I, and pick out a motor from a 94 Chevy pickup, it's roughly the same heads. They're Vortec heads. They're flat top pistons. You know, there's nothing special about them. And we're paying almost 10 grand over 10 grand. Once they're fully dressed to drop in a car. Right. I mean, it's we talked about my first year in street stock at being 2000. Sure, that was 23 years ago, but I paid three grand for a turnkey race car, got in it and drove it that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, can, yeah, that's not even that's maybe a set of tires and a transmission at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's it's really wild, deal, too. It, it, sorry to interrupt, but it, it's really wild too when, you know, like I'm talking in victory lane with Matt Williamson and he's talking to me about paying almost the same amount of money to get a used W16 that he drops in and can go and win a race. Right. So it, yeah. the, the crate clot, the crate expense has definitely gone up for you guys in a, in a pretty sharp way, pretty quickly. It, it's, it, it's gone really quickly. And the problem with that is when, when we were first putting the crates in the cars, they tried it once or twice with a street stock. You know, I think the sportsman had already gone to it. And the idea was the sportsman guys would use them for a year to sell them to us. Uh, and we'd wear them out. Well, you know, racers, we're not going to buy used junk. We're going to go out and buy our, our, you know, our new stuff, but it was still relatively equal for buying a crate engine, brand new with brand new parts. They cooled better. They had better torque um, to building our own motors that we could get into. And then now, I mean, sure, it's more expensive to build a motor or for someone like me or, you know, someone else that's that's a little bit more mechanically inclined and, and they're not, you know, they don't want to just go out and buy something and put it in their car. But, you know, for $8,800, I would expect a lot of motor for an 8800 bucks, right? And it hasn't gone any much, you know, the technology in the engine hasn't gotten that much better. Nope. Like, I get it. COVID, all this, everything's gone up, right? We're all paying out the rumps for everything. But, I mean, we're trying to grow car counts and we're trying to get people with these old cars or building new cars or whatever out on the track. When they see that $8,800 price tag, that's just a jaw dropper, mm-hmm. right? Well, mm-hmm. I've been and I've been pushing the LS motors for a long time, probably 2016, 2017, um, because that first crate, I was on the second year and I had to put a set of heads on it. Right. So, I mean, and I, I try to take care of my stuff. Everyone does. Right. But it was just, there was a bad batch of heads. It tuliped a couple of valves. So now I'm another thousand bucks into this yep. $3,500 motor. That's a year old. Right. Whereas our open motors at the time, I'd bring it down to the machine shop every year. They take it apart, maybe put some, you know, a couple hundred bucks worth of parts and labor into it. And I'd be good to go for another season. Whereas these crate motors, like we're putting valve, uh, uh, valve springs in them two, three times a year. Some guys are doing them like every three nights, um, just all kinds of stuff, right? Just maintenance stuff. And and we're not allowed to build anything that is equal to a crate engine 
Like we can put a 305 in it with Vortec heads, but if you want a 350, you're putting 40-year-old smogger heads on that that they don't work. They're not meant to do what we're doing with them and they don't cool with the crap. Right? So there's there's quite a few guys that have gone the 305 route with a standard now. Uh, I think Fawcett's actually one of the guys that, that's doing very well with it. I think Murray had one last year, uh, and, and it's working, but it's still expensive, right? Whereas if you get into the LS stuff, a bone stock 5.3 with a small cam is going to make almost identical numbers that a 602 is going to make. I've talked to guys all over North America running them in all kinds of dirt cars, all kinds of asphalt cars, and... To the point where I even talked to one guy, he did nothing in his car. He just drove. So we blew up a crate motor, took it to the shop. His guys ended up putting an LS in it, a 5.3, with a stock LS7, so like a Corvette camshaft in it. They're not crazy lift, right? I mean, it's like a, maybe like a 460 lift or something like that. I'd have to check the numbers. But they put it in his car. Uh, they put a carburetor kit on it. Um, he went out and raced, and he couldn't even feel the difference. And I said, well, you know, what, did it sound different? Did it pull different? He's like, from behind, you know, the the butt dyno, exact same. He didn't know until after the race that they put, you know, went out and swapped it out on him because they wanted to try it. It was something new for their series. And this is four or five years ago, right? If you go on Facebook now, there's all kinds of groups. If you just search LS groups, uh, you're bound to find find one for an oval track car or something, right? They're putting them in sprint cars down in the States, street stocks, late models, all kinds of stuff. And, and the price of them is ridiculously cheap, right? I mean, you can get, you go to a Wreckers and ask for a 5.3 out of a truck, you know, 2000 to 2010, say Chevy pickup, you can get one with everything you need for less than a thousand bucks. So my idea was always to give us a cam rule, right? So again, say the, the, the L, a stock LS7, whatever lift they are to get us a little bit more. And then you put a carb intake on it, run the same carburetor we're running now. You run, you have to buy like an MSD or something uh, to basically fire off all the coil packs. Um, your headers are a little bit more expensive. Your your pulleys and stuff like that are a little bit more expensive. But you're going to be around the same price to get up and running. But when you blow one up, you go to the wreckers and you're another thousand bucks. You bought, drop it in your car. You're good to go. Whereas now we're spending almost 10 grand again to be up and running the next week, right? And there's, this, is, this isn't this is just a street stock problem, right? I mean, you see it all over the place. All these guys running crate motors, they hate them, right? And how many of these guys in other classes, they're stock, mm-hmm. right? And they've mm-hmm. taken it to somewhere and they've been blueprinted and all sealed. And, you know, so now this motor that's supposed to be making 350, 360 horse is almost 400 horse or over 400 horse, right? So it's just getting ridiculous. I mean, it was a great idea when it first came out, but I think we're past it and we need to try something different. Okay. So the problem is when you blow one up then you got to put the other cam in it too. Right. So like a guy that couldn't do it himself, that's going to, you know, that's the kind of thing. The one thing about racing, like there's not as many guys that can do stuff for themselves anymore. And that's another main problem, but yeah, I definitely, but like the tech thing, that's everyone. Is that everyone's pullback? Like what's, what's the pullback from going to the LS that you get? I've never really gotten a pullback towards it. It's just always a, nope, we're not doing that. We're not doing yeah. that. We can't. Uh, I think a lot of people are scared of the modern computers of it. But if you get away from and you put a carb intake on it and use the exact same carburetor, the only thing really computerized would be your coil driver, right? 
And the W16s that you had mentioned that they're running in the modifieds, they're LS based, right? They're yep. basically mm-hmm. exactly with a distributor on the front. So, I mean, it, it would suck to put out that little bit of extra money to convert it to a distributor, but we could do that too, right? It's just basically you pull the front cover off, you get a, a driver kit, and then you've now converted your LS to a distributor, and it's basically a small block Chevy, right? For for what it's worth. I mean, all the, the parts and components are a little bit different, but it's all the same stuff. It's just a V8, you know. So as far as what the pullback is, I think it's just everyone's scared that it's going to be something different to tech, and then it's going to be something, you know, somebody's going to figure something out and take off with it, and it's going to be a whole mess, you know, to figure out. Well, but, that could happen too. Exactly, but that's just the nature of the beast. I know. Right? That is, I was going to say, that's, that's all arguably happening already with crates anyways, with the guys who are blueprinting them. Well, to me, else, as so. like an engine guy, like what are you going to do to stop blueprinting? Like they're two of the specs. What are you going to do to stop it? If that's the rules, what are you going to yeah. like, how yeah. is that illegal to me? Like, especially... Well, and, and one of the- one of the things I always said, even with the crates, is if they just give us the specs and say, look, this is what a spec crate motor has in it. These are the cranks. These are the rods. These are the pistons, yada, yada, yada. Right? These are the cam that they're running. We all know what the specs are. We all know what they're supposed to make on a dyno. So let's say a bone stock, you know, with a two barrel, whatever we're running in our cars makes, you know, 360 horse. Okay? Why can't we someone like me that can you know get in and change something and fix something take it apart and save myself a ton of money why can't i go and build that exact same motor put it in my car and if i'm over competitive if if they see that i'm pulling you know four car lengths out of the corner there's enough engine dinos around now to say okay pete's doing something here we're yanking that motor i remember you know when we were on open engines i was pulling cylinder heads after three wins it didn't matter if you won by an inch each one of those times, if you won three races in a year, you were pulling cylinder heads at the track. So why can't we do the same thing with pulling a motor out, bringing it to one of the dyno shops? I'm, I know there's lots of, even in the Niagara region, let alone Ontario. And if my engine that I've built makes, you know, say 10%, let's say 10%. If it makes 10% more horsepower than a bone stock crate motor, then I'm done. It doesn't matter what's in it or what I've done to it. If I'm that much more... I'm done. You don't have to do anything more than that. But if I'm making the same numbers as a crate, that's obviously not where I'm winning, right? I'm legal. You don't have to, other than pulling the motor out, you don't even have to open up a valve cover. You don't have to pull a head off of it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to mic anything. You don't have to figure anything out, right? The number is whatever the number is. Computer. They say computers don't lie. So if they know what a crate motor should make on a dyno, they should know what a built crate motor is going to make on a dyno, right? They, they got to let us do something. Yeah, I don't hate the idea of letting people take the stuff apart themselves, but yeah, you just got to have good tech guys and stuff like that. But like to me, that Vortex stuff's pretty easy to tech. Like they're pretty, I don't know. Oh, uh, I mean, even with, so we can run Vortex on a 305 now. Yeah. And, and one of the things when I suggested, you know, letting us build a, a spec crate motor years ago to uh, Pete Bicknell was... I, at that point in time, had a stroker motor that had Vortec motors on the street, and he asked me what it made. And I'm like, a little over 500 horse. And it was fairly, you know, there wasn't much done to it. Big cam and a little bit of head porting and and obviously a stroker kit, but, you know, I'm, I'm over 500 horse. And he's like, that's why we can't do it, because a little bit of head work, you know, and then you're into pulling intakes and you're into this and that, and, and nobody wants to attack that. So I understand that, but that was... You know, that was probably a good 10 years ago, and we didn't have the dinos around that we do now. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm sure there's enough guys in power, you know, with more contacts than I have that know someone with a dyno that would say, hey, throw my name on that sign up there in turn four. And if you ever need to dyno a motor, call me up. We'll pull it down. I'll run your numbers. We'll yeah. make three runs with it, right? The only thing about dynos, like I always tell guys when they tell me, oh, my engine found 40 horse on the dyno, like sprint car guys and stuff. Like, well, if you changed anything, because if not, your guy might be playing with the dyno. But anyway, right. But yeah. like, if you do know a reputable guy, like my personal preference, like for stuff like that, especially with crate motors, because like so much to do with the atmosphere and stuff. And like, you can totally like make some phone numbers yeah. on a dyno too, right? Especially if, oh, you're, sure. if you're just pulling your engine, like if you do three in a row on the same day, <laughs> that's different. <laughs> You'd have to but if you were just doing yours alone, then it could be a little harder. But I would personally recommend Fred Smith in Cayuga because he's an old dragger guy. And like, I guarantee you his weather would be perfect in the dyno and what sure. it's making on his dyno would be 100% perfect. And then, yes, that would work. Yep, sure. Yep. It's just, yeah, yeah. that's the way I see it is, you know, especially with street stock, it the hardest stock car racing to me is guys getting out and building stuff from what they found in their backyard, what they found in their wrecking yard. And I think we need to get back to that a little bit. Right. That's just that, all of that's, racing has to get back to that. Like I'm, that's me. I build my own engines. Yeah. I'm like the only guy yeah, out exactly. there, but everyone, am I always saying, I'm like, Oh, everyone complains about how much work is. And like, yeah. And all they have to do is call their engine guy and go like, Hey, is my motor done yet? And then lift it up and put the eight bolts in like try sure. building yep. all that and see how much work it is. But yeah. 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 But that's also how you save money and make it affordable when you're saying, Oh, how it's so expensive. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty wild thing the way that the world of racing is going and something else that's kind of wild. I don't want to shift gears too aggressively here, aggressively here. But Pete, I have to ask you while we have you, where did the nickname the crazy alien come from? So that was back to the go kart days, and even to this day, I've always had a little at least a Marvin the Martian sticker or whatever. I don't even know where the first one came from, but I had a little Marvin the Martian sticker on my go kart. And I was a little hot-tempered back then. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't remember what happened exactly. We were running up front, got wrecked, went to the back, and I was cutting through carts, going high, going low, going, you know, just being crazy. So someone said to – it was always my mom and I that was at the track back then. Someone mentioned to my mom, man, he's driving like he's a crazy alien out there. So, she, <laughs> yeah, she told me that after, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny, right? So then it just kind of, the next week someone mentioned it, and, you know, a couple other weeks later someone else said it, and it just kind of stuck the year after we started putting it on the cart, and, you know, just kind of stuck from there, so. That's awesome. That's one of the more unique nick- nicknames out there going, <laughs> yeah. so First one of my favorites. Car, like, I can remember you as, like, a red 05 with green on it. You had, like, that Martian in it the, on the yeah. post, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so now on the cars. So, like, talk about all the different types of cars you've raced as a street stock. Because I know that one year you built that big boat of a thing and you won a race, <laughs> a couple of races with it. What was that thing again? No, that was actually the only one I never won a race oh, with. Oh, it was huge. What was yeah. it? It was a 76 Olds Cutlass S. Yes. So oh, it, wow. was, it was like the whole NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, like, if you look back to the 79 Daytona 500, they were still running those cars. Yeah, and this wasn't that long ago. And this was. I think 2012 2013 oh, you're in it. So, yeah. yeah yeah i know we're showing our age eh? yeah but uh yeah we so i taken a year off i i had a metric car um sold it and when we got married uh my wife and i in 2008 we'd actually planned to move to north carolina and you know try something down there that's when the economy crashed real bad so it never happened 
So a year later, two years later, uh, we started, you know, to come back. And I'm like, I want to do something completely different, completely different. Everyone's running metric cars, Monte Carlos. Everyone's running Camaros. And uh, my mom was always a big Mopar fan. So the talk was, let's build a duster or a demon or something like that. And it was <laughs> like, the motor costs were ridiculous. And everything. it's like, no, nah, you know, we're getting into today's cost, basically. So, okay, we're going to stick with GM. and uh basically the Chevelles and the mid 70s old cutlasses and stuff were more or less Camaro front suspension but a larger version of the four link that they have in metric cars so on theory you know on paper it should have worked that much better and you know now that the car is destroyed I can tell you all the tricks to it the the chassis under that car was actually a 94 caprice chassis that would cut down mm. because huh. the, <laughs> Uh, wow. because so the, the, the factory wheelbase would have been, I think, 112, and the Caprice chassis was 116. So we cut it down. We actually took a little bit more out of the left side, so it already had, you know, a left turn into it. Uh, everything on that car was Frankenstein. There wasn't a stock piece on it, but that was the whole idea was to have something that nobody else had that we could just try a bunch of stuff with. And I think it would have worked really, really well if we hadn't have dropped the cage as low as we did, because if you look back at pictures of that car, it's really low. Like even it's like the car is long. It is long overall, but the roof line was really low. Too low and for dirt. Dropped, exactly. It wouldn't roll. It would yeah. have been an amazing asphalt car. Yeah. And that's, it worked really well at Oshwegan. Like when it got like real dry slick, we could just run the top and it was just super flat. But you know, down here it, it, it wouldn't roll. It wouldn't turn. We couldn't really make a lot of the adjustments that we needed to in the suspension wise like we can now. We couldn't have the, you know, any wedge bolts, any adjustable spring cups or anything. So we were just trying to figure something out with springs. And after two years, I got frustrated. I think I got two seconds with it. And I'm just like, no, this isn't working. You know, and, it, and on a tight track like Merrittville or, or Humberstone, it was a big car, right? So, I mean, you're an extra six inches wide or an extra. 12 inches long trying to fit through the same spots guys with Camaros and Monte Carlos are fitting through and it just wasn't working. So I absolutely loved it. I loved the look of it. Uh, I forget who the announcer was back then, but he was calling it the spaceship because of the nickname and, <laughs> you know, and everyone's like, Oh, it's the spaceship. It's the spaceship. And that car got a lot of people interested in it, but it, yeah, I never won a race with it. That's the only one I've ever built that I didn't win a race with. Okay. So all the other cars quickly. So, uh, first two years was a metric car that we bought. It was actually an old Alec Whalen car. So one of the old five Oh taxi cars. After that, we built, um, uh, Kenny Winfield built us a chassis. It was an offset chassis for Camaro ran that for a few years. Uh, it's still kicking around. They outlawed it here and then now it's legal again. So it's still kicking around. Last I heard Ron Logie had it and sold it to somebody else. <laughs> um, then after that, we went to back to a metric car. Uh, that's when I got hooked up with Jack Cassell, who was uh, the sponsor there on Saturday. Um, so he built that chassis. He built a bunch of other chassis, uh, Mike Dooley and um, who else? Dolph McCready had a, my uh, car was basically a mirror image of Dolph McCready's championship car. Um, then after that, we went to, what did we go to after that? I think after that we built, yeah, we sold that in 2008. Uh, Tyler Anderson bought that. And then we bought, or we built the Oldsmobile, and then that didn't work after a couple of years. So I built the Camaro that we have now. The Camaro that I have now is actually 11 years old now. So 
Wow. Yeah, she's some old iron, but we'll <laughs> keep her around. She works. Well, she works and she's winning, so why not? Uh, Pete, this yeah. has been an awesome interview. Uh, one of our one of my favorites so far. It's been nice to have two engine guys go back and forth about it, and I'm just sitting here like, oh, yeah, LS. Uh, those are the videos I watch. Of, like, <laughs> Honda Civic's getting swapped with those things. Yeah, yeah I can see yeah, that in sure. a Camaro, right? Yeah, I'm sure we can um, get a turbo in it somewhere. They wouldn't find that, right? Yeah, no, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> I can hear it whistling as it's coming down the front stretch. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, we get some muffins. Um, figure it out. Yeah, no blow-off valves for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll get you out here on this one. This is kind of our last question we ask everybody Dude. who comes on the show. And it's, uh, if you could drive one race car at one racetrack the rest of your life, what's the uh, combination you pick? Like permanently? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it wow. can be permanently or it can be like, hey, this is this is it. One last one. It can be like a total fantasy car, something you've never had the chance to drive that you always wanted to. Wow. You know, um, whatever you want. Well, as a kid, the dream was always to go Cup Series racing. Um, so I'd love to take a Cup car around Bristol or or a short track with it. It's just like an, like an old school Cup car. Well, old school, like early 2000s when they were, yeah. you know. Gen 4. Yeah. Gen 4. Twisted yeah. Sisters. Twisted Sisters. Yeah, exactly. Correct. At 9,800 RPM. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Either that or I'd love to try drafting. I think I'd be, I'm a, I feel like I'm a thinker when I'm out there. So I think I'd probably be pretty good at drafting. Um, But I guess we'll just have to leave that to the video games for now. Good answer. (laughs) That's a good answer. I like that one. P. Reed, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck the rest of the season and uh, keep uh, that 05 pointed in the wind. All right. We will try. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was a blast. Yeah, this is an awesome one. Pete Reed on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. Thanks, guys. And the checkered is out on another episode of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show presented by Oshweekin Speedway and Bicknell Racing Products. Like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook at Southern Ontario Dirt Show or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at SODS underscore pod. Have a question for the show? Email us, southernontariodirtshow at gmail.com. Thanks for supporting local racing in Southern Ontario, and we'll see you at the track.